0: welcome to mars messina presents i am mars and today is saturday may 20th 2023 episode 109 is showcasing the ancient jewish tale of the golem which is basically a story of how humans try to play god it has been said that the novel frankenstein was at least loosely based on the Gollum, as well as on the warnings that came with that story. We will compare the Gollum to that epic horror tale of giving life to that which is dead. We will also compare the Gollum to, and Frankenstein actually, We'll, we'll compare the both of them to our current artificial intelligence or AI situation and pose the question if we're trying to once again play God, only to have our creations break free of our control and surpass us in intelligence and physical strength. So let's first revisit the story of the Golem because there might be people who do not know what the Golem is. So, the story of the Golem is one of the most well-known legends in the Jewish religion. In it, a rabbi creates a man from clay to do his bidding, such as basic household chores. The Golem eventually gains too much strength So the rabbi has to take away his life. And while there are many different variations on the same theme of this story throughout history, the core of the tale still remains the same. Building something from nothing and giving it life and eventually having to kill it. So here's an example of one of those stories. The Polish Jews, after speaking certain prayers and observing fast days, they made the figure of a man out of clay or, as some tales go, loam. And when they speak the miracle-working Shem Hamphoros, I probably mispronounced that, Shem Hamphoros, which is the Kabbalah, itlistic name for God, when they speak that sacred, miracle-working name over the Gollum, the figure comes alive. And while he cannot speak, he understands reasonably well what anyone says to him and f- commands for him to do. They mainly use him for protection and they call him Gollum which means raw or helpless. And they otherwise use him as a servant, again, to do all sorts of housework. But he may never leave the house alone. Now, this is important. On his forehead, they have written the word ameth or ameth, which translates from the Hebrew to truth or God. However, the golem increases in size daily and easily becomes larger and stronger than all of his housemates, despite how small he was at first. Now, the people come to fear the golem and they rub out the first letter of his forehead so that nothing remains but the word maith which translate to, he is dead. Whereupon, the golem collapses and is dissolved again into clay. And in another story, out of carelessness, someone allowed his golem to become so tall that the person could no longer reach his forehead. So the master ordered the servant to take off his boots realizing that it would bend down and then that the person could reach its forehead and this is what happened so the first letter of the word was successfully erased but something he did not he did not foresee is the whole load of clay now lifeless fell on the Jew and crushed him Now let's uh, skip over to the novel Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, which was written by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. This story bears many strong resemblances to the tales of the Gollum. Many scholars have theorized that the Gollum, specifically the Gollum tale written by one Jacob Grimm, directly influenced Mary Shelley's story. Undoubtedly, there are numerous similarities between the two stories. Mary Shelley was born in London in the year 1797. She is best known as the author of that great Gothic tale that we all know and fear, and as the wife of the Romantic poet, Percy Shelley. Mary Shelley was something of a radical in her time. She was a believer in free love. She was an archetypal proto-feminist. She was an atheist and a prolific female author at a time when the prevailing notions of womanhood did not include writing novels and biographies which she did copiously mary may have been thinking of a trip that she and shelley took not long after their initial departure from london and that place happened to be along the rhine a region where there is a frankenstein castle and where according to local legend a young man by the name of Conrad Dipple was accused of robbing graveyards for corpses that he believed could be re- reanimated by injecting them with a mixture of blood and bone. Just before she wrote her Frankenstein novel, after hearing all of this, Ash clouds from an Indonesian volcano affected a large part of Europe. The warm warm growing season never came. And instead of sunshine, most of Europe was covered in fog and even in frost. Crop failures stretched across um, across Europe, Asia, of course where the volcanic event occurred and even in North America for three years afterward. Famines, epidemics, and political revolts ensued. Historians estimate that at least a million people starved in the aftermath of Tambora's eruption, while tens of millions died from a global cholera epidemic or pandemics, I'm sorry, pandemic um, that these events unleashed. <clears throat> During those three years of darkness and famine, some of Europe's greatest artists created their darkest and most enduring works. Yes, including Mary Shelley. And when she arrived at Lake Geneva in May of 1816, Mary was looking for a vacation, not literary inspiration. Unfortunately, the weather was so ghastly in Switzerland that she was trapped inside nearly the entire time. She was with her husband, her stepsister, who was named Claire, and Claire's lover, who happened to be the groundbreaking poet Lord Byron? Percy Shelley and Lord Byron, who had been fans of one another's work, soon formed an intense friendship. They abandoned their other travel plans and they rented nearby properties along Lake Geneva. And during those long, dark days and nights, they read poetry and they read horror stories. They debated and they talked late into the night. Thunder and lightning echoed through the villa and their conversations turned to one of the big debates of the day, whether human corpses could be galvanized or reanimated. Mary, who described herself as, I quote, a devout but nearly silent listener, close quote, she sat near the men and absorbed every word of their speculation about the limits of modern medicine. And one night, as they sat in the candlelit darkness, Byron gave them all a challenge. Write a ghost story that was better than any of the ones they had just read. Soon after, still puzzling and ruminating and mulling over Byron's assignment and trying to get to sleep, Mary had a vision in which she saw, I quote, the pale student of unhallowed arts, kneeling beside the thing he put together. I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. She lay awake, trying to imagine a story that would frighten the reader as much as she had been frightened and realized she had it. She said, what terrified me will terrify others and I need only describe the specter which had haunted my midnight pillow, close quote. Among dozens of writings that challenged her father's political theories and her husband's notion of romanticism, Mary Shelley's legacy includes this age-old question, was the premise of her Frankenstein based on the Jewish folktale of the Gollum? Again, there are many similarities between Shelley's story of the hubristic scientist Victor Frankenstein who created that humanoid creature with the aid of electricity and that of the golem, a human-like creature formed out of mud by a rabbi who was also imbued with heavy dosages of Jewish mysticism. the Jewish tales of the Gollum trace as far back as the Talmud and perhaps even further to the Book of Psalms. Kathy S. Gelbin, a professor at the University of Manchester, points out in her essay, which is called Was Frankenstein's Monster Jewish? that the Hebrew term golmi or my golem first appears in Psalm 139.16. And that's the, the Hebrew translation, by the way. But <clears throat> Psalm 139.16 is a biblical verse that basically says that the Creator saw His creation before the creation was even born. Gelbin writes, its biblical meaning is often translated as shapeless mass or embryo, galmi, evoking the unfinished human being before God's eyes. Early rabbinic litera- literature understood the term golem to refer to the bi- biblical creation story of the first human being, Adam, before. He received his soul. These early Jewish texts relate a number of stories about the creation of artificial humans or animals by various Jewish sages. And having said that, many believe that Frankenstein is a satirical allegory for Genesis, um, specifically the creation story. Although this creation may not be mystical in Frankenstein, it is still viewed in terms of religion. The monster refers to Victor Frankenstein as his creator and is conscious of Victor's role in his existence, which is something that the golem, on the other hand, never seems to obtain. This, too, is reminiscent of a Christian belief, specifically the creation of Adam by God in the book of Genesis and the damnation of Lucifer. In the book, the monster says to Victor, I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel looking at the creation of frankenstein's monster allegorically it seems to be a somewhat inverted creation story the monster instead of having the innate perfection of adam and eve is called a vile insect by his creator frankenstein attempted to act as god by creating life However, as a man himself, he cannot create the perfection that God can. His creation thus became a monster, a twisted version of Adam. Many scientists at the time were actually experimenting with and exploring cadavers, especially in terms of electrical experiments. Shelley's clear message is that attempting to play God is both futile and harmful. However, we will never really know if her novel was truly an allegory for Genesis or if it was a golem for her time, as Mary Shelley took that secret with her to the grave. Time for a water break. <clears throat> okay. According to a study co authored by a UC Merced professor, humans would have gone extinct in about 4,000 years if this fictional scientist, Victor Frankenstein, had been able to create a mate for his creature. Frankenstein is actually steeped in ecological ideas such as a niche overlap and competitive exclusion that wouldn't even be defined or named until about 100 years later. And this is according to biology professor Justin Yackel with the School of Natural Scientists, I'm sorry, School of Natural Sciences at UC Merced. He continues, the genius of Mary Shelley lies in how she combined and repackaged existing scientific debates to invent the genre of science fiction. Our study adds to Mary Shelley's legacy by showing that her science fiction. Accurately anticipated fundamental concepts in ecology and evolution by many decades. Yakel and co-author Nathaniel J. Dominey, a professor of anthropology and biological scientists, science is at Dartmouth College, explored the biological and ecological concepts in the novel, and they have discovered that Frankenstein, in refusing to build his creature a mate, would have saved mankind from extinction. Yackel continues on. He says, it's an invasion biology problem. In the story, the creature suggested that it and its mate could live in the wilds of South America and eat no meat of any kind, avoiding competition with humans. However, this idea may have been somewhat treacherous on its part, as we show that reproducing in such a low competition environment would actually have allowed its population to increase faster, driving humans to extinction earlier. Close quote. And indeed, in the novel, Frankenstein considers the creature's suggestion at first. But, as Yackel and Domini suggest, he realizes the reproductive potential of a pair of bigger, stronger, highly sentient, and intelligent creatures and the potential for human extinction extinction by out-competition. That's a concept that ecologists known as competitive exclusion. Domini adds, the principle of competitive exclusion was not formally defined until the 1930s. And again, Mary Shelley wrote her book in 1816-ish, Given Shelley's early command of this foundational concept, we used computational tools developed by ecologists to explore if and how quickly an expanding population of creatures would drive humans to extinction. The authors developed a mathematical model based on human population densities in 1816 Finding that the competitive advantages of the creatures varied under different circumstances. The worst case scenario for humans would have been the one the creature wanted a growing population of creatures in a place where they could flourish without threat or competition. This study is a thought experiment that casts new light on one of the many underlying horrors of the novel, that being human extinction. It also has real-world implications for how we understand the biology of invasive species. Victor Frankenstein succeeds in conquering death According to Rebecca Messbarger, professor of Italian and co-founder of the program in medical humanities, both in arts and sciences, she says, he creates an extra human being, one that is stronger, faster, more agile, and whose parts are in themselves more beautiful and proportional than any natural man's. Yet, Frankenstein never contemplates the possible consequences of the composite being he brings to life. He never truly considers the human impact of his experiments to know more, to be the first, to surpass all before him in this achievement and revel in the glory. These are what drive him. But by the novel's end, Frankenstein has been destroyed by the terrible consequences of his ambition. His grief at the loss of his own soul is a parable for the modern age about the destructive force of science divorced from humanity as romantics like mary shelley warned there is no triumph in these lofty experiments humanity must be at the center of science i i've been saying this you know when we're talking about ai we cannot have science divorced from humanity. That will destroy us. Each of the many manifestations of the Gollum, <clears throat> whether it's in literature, theater, film, visual art, or popular culture, has reflected the concerns of their creators and the anxieties of the times in which they lived, whether the increased brutality, of technological warfare, political movements running amok, the threat of nucle- nuclear annihilation, or scientific advan- advances in biotechnology, artificial intelligence, and big data. Both the Gollum story and Frankenstein have been understood as expressing the horrors that science and technology can wreak. Yet, it is the golem that underscores the ambivalent relationship we have with scientific and technological progress. In one of the more popular golem stories, this one created in the 16th century by Rabbi Lowe, the famous Talmudic scholar from Prague, the purpose of the artificial being made out of clay and given life was so that he could protect and save the Jews in Prague from those who wanted to destroy him, or them, who wanted to destroy the Jews. So, yeah, if we can get this technology to work for us, then it's a great achievement. And in this regard, the scientist seeks to benefit humanity just as the goal of the rabbis was to rescue Jews threatened by violence and therefore any resulting danger of their creation was an unintended consequence. We need to consider this in our day. It is this dialectical nature of the golem, at once savior and destroyer, that offers fertile com- comparisons with our current day AI and has inspired writers, filmmakers, and artists to interpret this archetype. At its core, the golem motif explores the mystery and power of the creative act. And now, in real life, we are doing the same thing with AI. Frankenstein's creature longs for human society, and in some versions of the tale, the golem falls in love and is rejected, and this precipitates its destructive rampage. In considering the emotions, and actions of both characters, we explore the boundaries of what it is to be human. Above all, these archetypes challenge us to behave responsibly vis-a-vis one another and vis-a-vis our creations. The exhilarations and anxieties surrounding AI have a common projection that we may be heading towards a point of no return. Perhaps the most radical and provocative statement on the optimistic end of the spectrum is from Ray Kurzweil, who is a futurist, an inventor of the Kurzweil synthesizer, and a director of Google engineering He had predicted what he called a technological singularity, which is a point at which AI will far surpass human intelligence. Now check this out. At this point, according to Kurzweil, humans will merge with AI, inaugurating an era in which human intelligence will become increasingly non-biological and fundamentally more powerful than it is today. The dawning of a new civilization that will enable humans to transcend their biological limitations and mortality. Even without the worst case scenario of physically eradicating humans, AIs, Threaten to make humans redundant. According to AI researcher Susan Schneider, AIs will outmode many human professions within the next decade. I think we all realize this by now. And if AI will not physically annihilate or replace us, it might just alter us beyond rec- recognition. AI will not just transform the world, it will transform us. Neural Lace. The Artificial Hippocampus. Brain Chips to Treat Mood Disorders. These are just some of the mind-altering technologies already under development we must come to grips with the likelihood that as we move further into the 21st century, humans may not be the most intelligent being on the planet for that much longer. The greatest intelligences on the planet will be synthetic. So it's one of these games, if you can't beat them, join them. And we may truly see cyborgs in the very near future and this is stuff that i always thought was science fiction and i always wanted to keep the science and the science fiction divorced but man after chat gpt and some of these humanoid rob- robots that are out there yeah i'm seeing the younger generation thinking it's quite normal to i don't know download livers and kidneys while they're 20 years old so that when they go wrong, when they're 70 or 80, they can reinstall their kidneys with their same DNA, except it's also synthetic and live to be 150 years old. I see this coming very quickly. If someday we build machine brains that surpass human brains in general intelligence, then this new super intelligence would be very powerful. And as the fate of the gorillas now depends on us, us meaning we humans, then on the gorillas themselves, so the fate of our species would depend on the actions of the machine superintelligences whether AI will develop to become a beneficial tool, a malicious superintelligence, or perhaps a sentient benevolent machine. The Gollum myth instructs us that at any rate, it is a cyclical process in which every end is a new beginning, and what we now perceive as life will be erased from our foreheads. It is now time for bedtime stories from the acoustic bookshelf. I'm going to read an excerpt from Frankenstein or The Modern Prometheus by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. I exclaimed do you dare approach me and do you not fear the fierce vengeance of my arm wreaked on your miserable head be gone vile insect or rather stay that I may trample you to dust and oh that I could with the extinction of your miserable existence, restore those victims whom you have so diabolically murdered! I expected this reception, said the demon. All men hate the wretched. How then must I be hated, who am miserable? beyond all living things. Yet you, my creator, detest and spurn me, thy creature, to whom thou art bound by ties, only dissoluble by the annihilation of one of us. You purpose to kill me. How dare you sport thus with life, Do your duty towards me, and I will do mine towards you and the rest of mankind. If you will comply with my conditions, I will leave them and you at peace. But if you refuse, I will glut the maw of death until it be satiated with the blood of your remaining friends. Until next week, arrivederci.